Hey, Upper Room listeners, this is Autumn Williams. I help oversee events at Upper Room, and we have Maranatha End of Year Conference, December 29th through 31st. We're going to be at Trinity Church in Cedar Hill with some of our dear friends and our close family from Dallas and Denver and Frisco, and we want to invite you, our online listening community, to join us with a corporate Maranatha cry. We have a special discount code for you. It is 20% off your registration when you use the promo code Family Reunion. One word, Family Reunion. Go to upperroom.co to register and find more information. What's up, Upper Room family and friends? It's Nicole Bartley, and I'm excited to be introing the podcast this week. This Sunday, Larissa Miller brought a word about the Word of God with conviction and love. The scriptures are true food, and we have access every day to the living, breathing Word of God. We don't want you to be walking around hungry and weary. You have access to true, substantial food in the scriptures. Real people in their time across history have uttered the prayers we utter today. You are a part of a big story. It's our prayer that your heart is moved into relationship with the Word, and that you consume the life inside of it. Enjoy. I love you. Good morning. Well, in the interest of making the most of our time, I'm going to jump right in, but I have to pray first. So let, let me do that. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we want to learn from you. We want your Holy Spirit to hover here in this room and for you to speak to us, Lord. And so we humble ourselves. Jesus, would you give us all ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to perceive. We welcome you. We want to know you. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Church, would you just put your hand on your head if you're at home and you're, if you're in the overflow room? If you're a visitor, sometimes I make you do weird things. Don't worry about it. Just put your hand on your head. Lord, we ask you that you would open up our minds to understand the scriptures. Lord, you promised that you would write your word on our hearts. And so I thank you that what you have to say today is going to testify to all your sons and daughters deep on the inside, Lord, where you wrote the new covenant, where you wrote the new covenant on our hearts. Let that part of us awaken today in greater measure to who you are, to what you've done, to what you're doing and what you will do. Lord Jesus, we love you. Amen. So, uh, We've been talking about the end times. We've been talking about how Jesus introduced his return in Matthew 24. And then um, Michael uh, did a little pause on that and gave an amazing message on Thanksgiving. If you have not heard it, that is probably one of the banner messages of his life and of this house. 
Um, so please go listen to it if you haven't heard it. Thanksgiving will change your walk with God and subsequently your life. So please go listen to that. Um, and then uh, Corey shared, or did Corey share before that? I don't know. And then, and then Michael shared again. But when I read Matthew 24, 25, which are just the 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 main scriptures where Jesus himself introduces his return. I see some, some big warnings that I think that as leaders, we're called to equip the body to be prepared for these things. And one is don't be deceived, right? We hear it over and over again. The other major one is where he says, learn the lesson of the fig tree, he says, it's really obvious, right? They're looking at a fig tree. He says, when you see that tree and its leaves, it, it starts to bud and its leaves are turning green, you know that summer is near. And so this is your moment to go, oh, this, we're in the season. And so he commands us to learn the lesson of the fig tree, meaning when you see these things happening, you can know you're in the general time. Now we all know that no one knows the exact day or the hour, but we are commanded to understand the season or the time and to not be ignorant of it. And so this is part of what we're doing. It's part of why we're exploring this these last few weeks and we'll continue to is because we wanna be equipped as a body to know what season we're in of the Lord's return. And then the third one that's over and over and over again is be alert. Be sober, be watchful, be alert. First Peter 4, 5 says, the end of all things is near, therefore be sober and alert and be ready to pray. And so here's the thing, here's what I wanna bring to you today. What I wanna bring to you today is something that I think will sort of kill three birds with one stone. And that is growing in intimacy with God. A sustained lifetime of intimacy with God. If you are growing in relationship with God, then you're gonna be alert. You're gonna be watchful. You're not gonna be deceived because you know him. You've been with him. You know what he's like. You know his voice. You know what his word says. And so you'll be ready. And so I just wanna give you some big keys today to growing in intimacy. And you know, I was, I was looking around today when Aaron was doing that call for joy. Guys, thank you for worship this morning. It was so beautiful. Um, I was just looking around and, and honestly just heartbroken that there's so many that feel like you're in a pit. Oh man, it's terrible to feel like you're in a pit. And, and I know that you can be... Um, you can be in a fervent life with God and be in a pit. But sometimes we're just in a pit because we don't have some, some like healthy spiritual habits in our life. Sometimes, you know, if, if someone came to you and they said, man, I'm just, I'm weak, I'm hot, I'm, I'm tired, I'm, I, my, my joints are aching, and you begin to like, if, you, if they go to the doctor, the doctor begins to just ask questions. And then, and then somewhere along the line, you found out, well, they haven't had water in three days. You'd go, well, I know what to do here. 
I know what you need. And, and sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes as believers, we're going through things and we're, we're, we may be in a pit and maybe what you need, maybe you're just dehydrated spiritually. Maybe you need something that's not a hard fix, right? To drink water is not a hard fix. That's something you can do. And so I just want to equip you today for that. Say, equip me. <laughs> All right, so here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about prayer and Bible study. And my hope is to completely reframe, if my USM students are in here, what's up? My hope is to completely reframe how you see those, especially if you've grown up in church. All right, because... What we think of as prayer is, come here, come here, Pam and Keisha. Let's just, we're, we're gonna, now up room, maybe we've grown a little bit, but let's hold it, let's be in a circle. And so hold my hand here. We're just gonna, we're gonna pray, Lord, we pray for Keisha. We pray for her family. We pray you bless her. We pray for her uncle with a hip. We pray for Pam. We pray for her finances. We pray for the baby that she's wanting. And that's how we think of prayer, right? Okay. That's not bad. Listen, she, she's wanting a baby. That was, I'm sorry, it was prophetic. It's, I, 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 I can't control reward what the Lord speaks when I'm up here. Uh, Okay, but, but we have thought of prayer as that, or we've thought of prayer as our list, or we've thought of prayer as like, we'll come to the prayer room. And we just have these ideas of what prayer is. And most Christians don't have a vibrant prayer life because of the mindset of what we think it's supposed to be. It's like, I, I prayed all the things. So now what do I do? I asked him for all the things, and now what do I do? And then the same with Bible study. It's like, well, I read, I read that those four chapters today and my one proverb for the day, and now what? And I'm I I and an, and an hour later, I completely forgot everything that I just read. Anyone? So. Here's what I want to do. When you, and I, I'm, I've been trying to think of a new word for it, but I don't have one yet. But when you think of prayer and Bible study, I want you to think of them going together, that they cannot be separated. That when you pray, it's with this open, with most of the words coming out of your mouth are the words already written down here. And that and that when you Bible study, you never study your Bible without being in relationship with the one who wrote it, who's breathing on it, who is this word made flesh. Because prayer without the Bible is a lot of you, which we all know, like none of us came to the Lord for us, right? Like that, that got old fast, boring, and Bible study without relationship, without the Lord, is dangerous because knowledge puffs up, right? And we could all become Pharisees and not even know the one that we're supposed to be looking for in these scriptures. And so it was always meant for you to have this living, breathing, relational interaction with the Lord, with this open. So I'm just going to teach a little bit about that. Is that okay? 
<clears throat> I want to remove the boredom and the not knowing what to do when you come to be with the Lord. I'm going to give you some real practical things to do. So let's talk about prayer. What is prayer? We like to define prayer. Anyone? How do we define prayer at Upper Room? Relationship. That's how we define prayer. Prayer is relationship. Relationship with who? Between you and God. What is the goal of prayer? The goal of prayer is to know God. I'm gonna, you may argue with me, but I have the mic, so I'm gonna go with that today. The goal of prayer is to know God. By knowing God, you will discover that he knows you, which is life changing. But if you start with him knowing you, again, it just gets boring, it gets old. But if you have as your goal to know him, you will never get tired or bored because he's forever unfolding before your eyes. So what is prayer? Prayer is relationship. What is the goal of prayer? The goal of prayer is to know God. The traditional way that the Western church has viewed prayer of supplication, right, of asking him for things, is not bad, but it is secondary. It's in the pursuit of him that you begin to realize to whom you're praying and what he would want you to pray for. Because James says, he says, you don't have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. But as you seek God and you become like him, your motives change and you know who you're asking and what to ask for. This confidence comes over you. Okay, so... I, I, I'm, I'm geeking out on this subject, okay? Can somebody with strong hands open this for me? Oh, Keisha, you go, girl. <laughs> if anybody's looking for a woman with capable hands. I don't even know what I'm saying. Okay. <clears throat> this poor front row. All right. <clears throat> All right. Because prayer is relationship, because, hear me, because prayer is relationship, it's like the Christian life. And the Christian life begins with God. What do I mean by that? I mean, he loved you first. He loved you while you were his enemy. He loved you first. And that doesn't stop the day you get saved. Every single time you come to God, that is your door. You love me first. Thank you. This is always the way that you come to him because it's always true. So when you pray, because it's just an outworking of this relationship, it begins with him, right? What did Jesus say when his disciples said, teach us to pray? He said, pray like this, our father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. So prayer has to begin with who he is and where he is. Now, Anyone who's like getting in a religious box and thinking I'm putting rules on you, if you have a vibrant prayer life, you go for it however you want to do it. 
So this is for the people who are not there and they want to grow, okay? Or if you want some new ways to think about prayer. So our Father who's in heaven, I want you to see a quote. Can you put my first quote up there, Art? This is from St. Teresa of Avila, who... Um, was a Carmelite nun. And this is a, I have a couple of quotes from her about prayer. She says, prayer is in the category of friendship. Clearly, it is God who has initiated the friendship. You guys catch that? This personal prayer is a response to a love already shown us by the God of revelation. One goes to prayer as to someone whose love for us is assured The one praying answers the voice of benevolence and love in return. You see, this is why it starts with him, because the whole thing started with him, right? He left heaven. He was slain before the foundation of the world. He came and found you and apprehended you. And so when you go to him, it's always with, wow. Thank you. You see, and this this mindset and this heart posture positions you in faith. Because you're already like five steps ahead. Because now you're aware of who he is, what he's done, what his nature is. He is love. Right? He is love. And so when you come to him, you're coming over and over again to the one who chose to define himself as love. So I'm going to get into Thanksgiving, but I want to show you one more quote that follows up this one. It's important that we not pray to win God's favor and love. Amen, church. God has already loved us most personally in Christ. What we need to do is answer that love. Thus, prayer is an aspect of the life of grace. Graced prayer receives the love of God for the self and returns it in two ways, by loving God directly and by loving our brothers and sisters in God and for God. Prayer is agape received for personal transformation and then channeled back to God and out to neighbor. This is the in and out lifestyle. It's the receiving of the love of God and first giving it back to him. And in this exchange, you become love himself that then it's outworked to your life. Whatever your out is. If you're a teacher, a student, a parent, a doctor, whatever you are, You have received something, and in giving it back to him, you're gazing at him, and what you behold, you become, and then it just bleeds out of you. So, let me just hit it again. What is prayer? Prayer is relationship. And what is the goal of prayer? To know God. I'm telling you guys, the prayer that forever changed the trajectory of my life was, God, I want to know you. And it was, for the longest time, the only thing I said to him, I just want to know you. 
I would go sit alone and I would have my Bible and I would say, I want to know you. I'm telling you that prayer changed my life. And it, it set me on a course that I'm still on. Best prayer I ever prayed. Best prayer I ever prayed. So when you pray, you begin with God. One of the ways that you can begin with God as you approach him is with thanksgiving. The important thing about thanksgiving is that you begin, it's your human nature to like wander off, right? Anyone? Yes? All right, but when you begin with thanksgiving, you begin to align your heart and your mind with who God is. Because you're, you're, you're already acknowledging some important things. One, he's a giver. Right? You can't say thank you without having received something. So as you say thank you, you're talking to him. Right? Anyone who, who would seek God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So as you thank him, your eyes are already lifted. You're already looking up saying thank you because he's given you something. And so you're, you're focused on his benevolent nature, if you will, that he's good, that he's a giver of good things. And so you're focused on him and you can start with thanking him for all the simple things. Thank you for that breath. Thank you for that hot coffee. Man, I was thinking I had a seat heater this morning in my car. Oh, I was like, Lord, thank you for this seat heater. But eventually, hear me, your thanksgiving needs to lead you to thanking him just for his very nature. Who is he? Oh, he's, Elissa was singing it this morning. He's, he's my redeemer. He's my friend. He's my father. He's my savior. He's my comforter. And as you thank him, your mind begins to be renewed to who he is. Because when we, when we're out in the world and we're doing life, there's our flesh, there's the world, there's the enemy, and they just, they come at you, right? So you have to get in a place where your mind can be renewed to who God is. And as an overflow of that, who you are. You can't know who you are unless you know who he is. You cannot know who you are unless you know who he is. You can be staring at Enneagrams all day long and not know who you are unless you know who he is. And he, by the way, sometimes needs to transform you, especially if you're a, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Those things are helpful. They're helpful. All right, so as you're thanking him, as you come to approach him, one of the helpful tools is to utilize your sanctified imagination. All right, because you are, your prayer is Christ-centered. Hear me, you're praying with Christ, from Christ, through Christ, to Christ, I know we, we, we pray to the Father, but we can only pray to the Father through the name, 
right? So Christ in you, put your hand on your belly, Christ in you is birthing prayer, his spirit inside of you crying out, Abba, Father. So you see, you begin with Christ and you're crying out through Christ to the Father. And so if you can use your sanctified imagination to imagine him, imagine him on the cross. Imagine him on the cross. Just let your mind, let the eyes of your heart settle in to him there. Imagine him in the garden, sweating drops of blood. Imagine him in the middle of the throne, the lamb and the lion and all of the universe swirling around him. Imagine him like Daniel saw him. Imagine him like Ezekiel saw him. Imagine him like John saw him. If you're the eyes of your heart can grow accustomed to these pictures, oh, you will be unstoppable because you'll know whom it is that you're approaching, right? Boldly, with confidence, as Hebrews says. So I, want to, I wanted to show you this quote on Thanksgiving that, that really explains what I'm trying to say. Can you put that Jonathan Edwards quote up here? This one's kind of long, so hang with me. While they often mingle together in the life of a follower of Christ, there are actually two types of thankfulness. One is secondary, the other primary. The secondary sort is thankfulness for blessings received. Life, health, home, family, freedom, a tall cold lemonade on a summer day. It's a mindset of active appreciation for all good gifts. The great preacher and American theologian Jonathan Edwards called thanks for such blessings natural gratitude. It's a good thing. But get this. This gratitude doesn't come naturally if at all when things go badly. It can't buoy us in difficult times. And to paraphrase Jesus, even pagans can give thanks when things are going well. Edwards calls the deeper primary form of thankfulness gracious gratitude. It gives thanks not for goods received, but for who God is. For his character, his goodness, love, power, excellencies, regardless of favors received. And it's real evidence of the Holy Spirit working in a person's life. This gracious gratitude for who God is also goes to the heart of who we are in Christ. It is relational rather than conditional. Though our world may shatter, we are secure in him. The fount of our joy, the love of the God who made us and saved us cannot be quenched by any power that exists. People who are filled with such radical gratitude are unstoppable, irrepressible, overflowing with what C.S. Lewis called the good infection, the supernatural refreshing love of God that draws others to him. This is who I want us to be. This is who I want us to be. Because if what we read in Matthew 24 and 25 and 1 and 2 Thessalonians, if all of that is coming, which I believe that it is, then we are going to have to learn how to be people of gratitude beyond our circumstances. Meaning our circumstances could go up and they could go down. And it is in a reflection of who God is. It's easy for me to say right now because things are good. 
But this is something we practice. And it's him revealing himself. So here's, here's what I want you to see. I mentioned all of these different encounters in the Bible with God. These prayers are what theologians call theophanies. Can you say theophanies? A theophany is a, a visible manifestation of God to humankind. And what's interesting is that all these different people throughout scripture had these encounters with God thousands of years apart, remarkably similar in what they saw. What were Jesus' feet like? Any students in here? What, what are his feet like? Burnished bronze. What about his eyes? Eyes of fire. What's going on around him? Lightning and thunder and rainbows. He's got, yeah. Who, who said it? I don't know. Anyway. When you grow accustomed to these different scriptures, I don't know if you can put this list up here. You guys can screenshot it if you want. Um, but I, I would recommend getting familiar with these, these prayers. Do you have that list anywhere? <clears throat> oh, he might have done it differently. But I would get familiar with these because they're all remarkably similar that are describing a realm that you and I actually belong to, right? When we were born again, we were seated in Christ in heavenly places. So the more that you get to know him and where he is, the more you will understand who you are and where you are and what you've inherited. If you want to, you can just screenshot these. Here's some. And what I would suggest is picking one and, and getting really familiar with it. Let it become yours. Let your imagination sink into this place. I'm going to use the last few minutes that I have to talk about how important scripture is in how you pray. It's only in modern history that the church has gotten away from actual what they think of as prayer as praying scripture. That for thousands of years, when the early church was birthed, when they said, we're going to prayer, they were going somewhere and they were reciting things together. Still today, if you go to the Western Wall, see, because they were Jewish, these were Jewish traditions. And if you go today to the Western Wall, you're not going to see people circling up praying. You're going to see people with their scripture open. You're going to see them meditating, muttering, reading, because it begins with him and how he has revealed himself. 
how he has revealed himself. Jesus, growing up as a Jewish boy, would have had so much scripture memorized. I think we talked about it when you talked about Jonah, how when Jonah was in the belly of the whale, he's in the pit of all pits. He prays this prayer, and all it is is like five different psalms mashed together. Well, it's not like he had a scroll in the whale. How did he do that? It was inside of him. He had it inside of him. And you know what you need inside of you when your life falls apart? You need a way to cry out to God. You need words. You need words that say, there's waves and billows crashing over me. I'm in a pit, but I cry out to you. The Psalms are beautiful because they're like banks of a river. There is not one single human emotion that you could find, that you can't find in the Psalms. But the beautiful thing is that you can grab hold of one and it is like banks of a river that will lead you to him. Otherwise, you just are feeling the thing. You're just feeling the thing. You could go in to pray, but be so consumed by the thing that you're feeling and walk out just the exact same. But if you can find your voice here, if you can find, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine the son of God prayed such a heretical thing? How could he dare say that God had forsaken him? It was a psalm that David wrote. Can you wrap your head around the fact that the word of God became flesh, hung on a cross, and quoted the word of God? (laughs) He quoted a man in distress crying out to God. He did it again when he said, into your hands I commit my spirit, Psalm 31.5. Jesus himself quoted a broken man's pursuit of God when he was in a place of desperation. I'm telling you, there are, there are words here for you for whatever you're going through. And I'm not minimizing the heart that just falls on your face and says, God help. That's a good prayer too. But if you want to end up somewhere, I'm telling you, there are good, good, good places here to take you to his throne. So many times in Psalm 119, we see how David says, he, he starts out and he says, my soul's clinging to dust. Have you ever felt that way? So you go in to be with the Lord and you're clinging to just nothing and you know it. And then, he, and then he'll end saying, but, but I cling to your testimony. You see how the, the banks of the river, it led him somewhere. Oh, there's so much history here. I love to think when I'm praying these out loud, which I recommend, I love to imagine that like, as my voice is filling the air, that I can hear David's voice, right? There's a great cloud of witnesses around me. And I like to imagine like, there's my voice. There's my grandmother's voice. There's King David's voice. There's the voice of Jesus. And we're all echoing in eternity these same ancient words. 
Psalm says that, that he's exalted his word above his name. I'm telling you, there's so much in here. And I wanna provoke you that anything you read in scripture can become a prayer. And you may not be regimented like I am, I'm, I'm kind of wired that way. And it's fine if you're not. But if you are a believer who wants to mature in Christ, you cannot Russian roulette Bible every day of your walk with Jesus. It just, it's fine every now and then, but that is not a route to maturity. It's not. You, you need to be intentional. It needs to have some, some, some purpose, some direction behind it. And start with something something you love. Start with something that touches your heart. If it's Galatians, if it's the spirit of sonship, sit there, sit there for a year, but like be purposeful. Be, there's so much for us there. If you don't know where to go, start with the list I gave you or just read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we can talk in a decade. There's so much for you. I, I, like, I follow a plan. I was reading Hebrews 12 last week, and he says, he says, don't be covetous, but be content with what you have because the Lord is with you. And I thought, well, that's a, such a funny phrase. Be content, don't covet because I'm with you. And I started to just sit there and say, wow, Lord, I guess I don't need anything else because I have you. I guess I don't need to be wanting that thing or that person's life or that experience or that whatever because you're here. And so what went from words on a page went to an encounter. It went to growing in relation to me understanding he's everything. Did I know that already? Yeah, but I know it again. I know it deeper. Such is the Christian life. Amen. So I want to challenge you. He's he, the, the, the son of God, the lover of your soul, the one written on your heart who inhabits your body as a temple. He's all in here and he's waiting to interact with you and be discovered by you. I have a really great video that I just love. I would love to play for you. I know it's getting late, but if you could just hold and we'll play this video. I should have gave you guys more cue time. In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, our high priest. In Numbers, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, the captain of our salvation. In Judges, our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, our reigning king. In Ezra, our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, our Mordecai. In Job, our day spring on high. In Psalms, he's the Lord, our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, the righteous branch. In Lamentation, the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, the wonderful four-faced man. And in Daniel, the fourth man, the burning fiery furnace. Who 
is this fourth man? And Hosea, he's the faithful husband, forever married to the backslider. In Joel, the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, our burden bearer, and Obadiah, the mighty to save. In Jonah, our great foreign missionary. In Micah, the messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, God's evangelist, crying revive thy work in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he is the savior. In Haggai, the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, the fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. And in Malachi, the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. Who is this fourth man? In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, the wonder worker. In Luke, the son of man. In John, the son of God. In Acts, the Holy Ghost. In Romans, our justifier. Corinthians, our sanctifier. In Galatians, he is the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, the God who supplies all our needs. In Colossians, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. First and second Thessalonians, he is our soon coming king. In first and second Timothy, our mediator between God and man. In Titus, our faithful pastor and Philemon, a friend, a stick of closer than a brother. In Hebrews, the blood of the everlasting covenant and James, the great physician. First and second Peter, the chief shepherd who soon shall appear with a crown of unfading glory. In first, second, third John, he is love. In Jude, the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints. In Revelation, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who is this fourth man? I'll tell you who he is. He's Abel's sacrifice, Noah's rainbow, Abraham's ram, Isaac's wells, Jacob's ladder, Issachar's burdens, Judah's scepter, Balaam's Shiloh, Moses' rod, Samuel's horn of oil, David's slingshot, Isaiah's fig pole, Hezekiah's sundial, Peter's shadow, Paul's handkerchief's apron, Stephen's signs and wonders, John's pearly white city. Who is this fourth man? To those of us who travel the dark night, he's the bright and morning star. To those who go through the lonesome valley, he's a lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, the staff of life, and honey in their eye. Who is this fourth man? He's a rock in a weary land. He is a pearl of great pride. He is the everlasting father and the government of our life is upon his shoulder. Who is this fourth man? He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the living God. who is this fourth man? Um, but hey, listen to me, church. I know some of you who don't have a relationship with your Bible on a regular basis can start to feel condemned and religious in settings like this. And I, that is not the fruit of today. Here's what I want you to know. He loves you. He loves you no matter what. And he wants to reveal himself to you. And if you want to have a hunger for the word of God, it is a simple prayer that you ask him, give me a hunger for your word. Oh, he loves to answer that prayer, I promise you. And, and the last thing I wanna say is that quality is over quantity. You have a lifetime to read this book. You have teachers all over the earth who know way more than I do. But it's about quality over quantity. If it's one phrase where he meets with you and you're transformed by his presence, that's what you need. All right? So stand up. If I can get the altar team to come up.
So would you just, you may be a theologian in here, but let's just all pray this together. Hold out your hands. I say, Lord, we want to know you. We want to know you. We want to hunger for your word. We don't want to be puffed up with knowledge, God. We want to know you. Give us a hunger to know your word and a hunger to know you. Give us the grace to seek you. Like Moses said, show me your glory. Like David said, one thing I ask. Like Mary sitting at your feet, this is who we want to be. Jesus, we love you. And in your name we pray. Amen.